السلام عليكم وعليكم السلام السلام Hey, Faison, I'm in my car, so I'm not going to be able to, like, uh, read or participate, like, that okay. right now. Sounds good. Sounds good. So what happened to the surprise guest? Uh, he will be here, but I guess, I don't know if it's a big surprise. Let me, let me switch to my computer one second. Surprise guest was, uh, I guess it still is a surprise. So uh, Eric's going to try to join us today. That's a surprise. Yeah, I had a feeling that was him. <laughs> oh, nice. I can tell Eric uh, I'm late at work because of my ID rotation. Gotcha. Sorry, I don't know if I was talking over somebody. My speakers were off. You guys can hear me, right? Yeah. You guys hear already that Eric was going to be the guest. I thought it was going to be Geyser for some reason. No. I guess Eric will do. Yes, he was a, he was <laughs> yeah, he's gonna try class and see if he can commit and stuff like that. But I think Shazan just added him to the group anyway, so then I thought it wasn't a surprise, but I guess you can add people without it being notifying, notifying everyone. So he was uh added to the group, sneaky IT people, man. Uh, but yeah, the uh, rumors are for said he's going to join any any minute. He's uh, finishing up another meeting, so he should be here soon. What's everyone's thoughts about a um, in person visit on the week of the sixth, March sixth? Our, our thoughts on what, Osman? Uh, in person meeting the week of the sixth, March sixth. March sixth. Yeah, March is better for me personally, so that should be feasible. Can we do it on a weekend day? We can ask him. I, I don't know if he's available. Um, uh, I'm okay. With, I mean, I won't be able to meet that week, but if you guys get enough people, definitely go for it. I'm going to be in uh, Las Vegas, March 6th to, to 12th, uh, 10, 10, 10 to 12, something like that. Or what if we did like an iftar together? I mean, I'd be okay with that because I can, I can make that work, but, uh, and I can ask him, you know, what his availability is. I'm, I'm sure if, uh, I'm sure like if, Scheduled, you can make it work. Yeah, I think the last week of March, I mean, any, all of March, I'm pretty flexible, but uh, I was thinking maybe the last week after like the first couple of days of Ramadan are already in, like we can meet them if anyone's open to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm open to that. Um, who, who doesn't work for like a week, weeknight iftar if we plan it way I, ahead? Of I think Omar said he needs 
a week. Or what? Do you have any days off in the week? Or are you Monday through Friday? Like I need Friday, now? Saturdays. I can do only do Friday, Saturdays for now. Gotcha. Is on. Take me with you to Vegas. <laughs> I'm going for work, but I was. Uh, How long are you? I'm, I'll go for it? work too. I'm going for the week, Monday through Friday, inshallah. <laughs> and then uh, I reached out to some YM guys, and I was like, "Listen, I'm gonna be like uh, super bored and stuff. So like, let's hang out and stuff like that." And uh, oh, yeah, that you be bored in Vegas, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, they actually helped me book a couple of speeches, like at an MSA and a khutbah and stuff like that. And I was like, "That's not oh, what I meant. I meant let's hang out." Like, <laughs> Who's uh what YM guys are in Vegas? Oh uh, no nobody I know. I don't even remember their names. They're just they're they're not alums, they're just like current YM leadership. they they run NeighborNet and um somebody from oh. National Sura gave me their number and so I was like I just reached out and I didn't realize uh we had NeighborNet in Vegas. That's cool. Yeah, there's one at least. I, I don't know if there's more than one, but I know there's one at least. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Hi, Can you hear me? Hi, Sam. Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, yeah. It's only a couple of us today. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm driving, so I'm not going to be able to like uh, read the screen and stuff. Okay. Okay, inshallah. So otherwise, so if it's two and a half of us, Fezan, Omar, and then Adnan in the car. We can either continue along or we can do something else. Oh, there's a bunch of other guys. There's way more of us. Yeah, oh, yeah. really? Why can't I yeah. see anybody? Osman's here. Eamon's here. Omer's oh, here. Naeem is here. Ali's here. Uh, Eric is here. Whoa, Eric, Eric is here. Is here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like no, Dr. Wow. So much <laughs> noor, mashallah. <laughs> but you recognize the real ones in the beginning, so that, that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, basically. What, why can I only see... Like a few of you, this is so weird. He can only see like the most degenerate of us, or uh, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. The... the most degenerate, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, oh, you know what? I learned today if you like go like this, like long enough, watch what happens. See that oh, other thing? Wow. That is sick. I yeah. saw your hand, the hand icon. I didn't know that. <laughs> I discovered that like a couple hours ago. Because I'm always like gesturing and such. <laughs> All righty. So let's pull while I'm pulling up my copy. Uh, any questions, thoughts, reflections about anything? Um, I don't know if this is appropriate for now or at the end of class, but yeah, try. Uh, let's see what happens. Okay, so in a group chat I'm in today, somebody had a question about the the hither. And specifically, they wanted to know, like, other than the story of the Hither and Musa in, uh, I think it was Surakaf, is there any other verifiable, like, information we know, um, such as, like, if they're still alive or they're considered a prophet, or if they met any other prophets? I am not aware of anything reliable, except if we trust the people who are claiming so there is a legend, which I have not read, but was taught to me. So I don't know where it's located, that Imam al-Ghazali was teaching a class at Al-Azhar University. So he's from the 10 hundreds, right? Al-Azhar is barely 100 years old. Al-Azhar is originally a Fatimid 
university and then some soon it became Sunni. But the story is that Khidr alayhi salam walked into class and asked Imam al-Ghazali, what is the greatness of Allah? And Imam al-Ghazali says, the greatness of Allah is that he can make the whole population believe in him and he can make the whole population reject him. And Khidr says, yes, that is correct. And he leaves. So yeah. Uh, is he still alive? I think it'd be pretty cool if he is, but you know, uh, uh, your guess is as good as mine. So, All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish mean, I had something more uh, concrete than that. I can find some Sufis and see what they say. But I, <laughs> I guess I was talking to a Hitler yesterday. No. <laughs> uh, no, this is good. Uh, I'll tell my friend about uh, this and hopefully it'll ease their curiosity. Okay, sounds good. Any other questions? I, I was thinking about what we were talking about last time. So we were talking about uh, things that people like maybe, I don't know if we said like 100 years ago or 500 years ago, they're going to look back and they're going to say, you know, why were, why were we even like making this into such a big deal? Or yes. why are we having all this discourse around it? Like similar to how we would do today with uh, the creation of the Quran um, during the time of Imam Ahmed or the uh, Rahimahullah. Yeah. So um, would, would things that are like always in disagreement, but like like the example I think you mentioned was perfect, like evolution, like it's something yeah. 500 years from now, it's going to be like, why were we, why was the whole, sh you know, this whole thing happening around it? Yeah. But things that are like always kind of contentious, like I'm thinking like moon, sign moon sighting or contemporary issues like hand slaughter versus machine slaughter. Do you think these would fall in that? Like, do you think there would be some consensus in the future and people would be like, oh, why were they even doing this 500 years ago? Because uh, I think part of the fight will be resolved. Okay. Uh, part of the and part of the fight is um, thicky disagreement. That part's going to remain. Okay. But part of the part of the fight is convenience. Mm. That I think is going to get resolved. You know, uh, I don't know if it's something like if we can try to figure out what is more the core issue in some of these things, then we might find a pattern of a common issue. Like so, with mm -hmm. evolution. There's evolution itself, but it's also the relationship between science and and, and text, right? Mm -hmm. That's more what's actually taking place. My literal reading of my text says this, evolution says this, which one wins? Either I say my text uh, wins and evolution is a lie, or I say my text is a metaphor, or my text is false, right? So one example of that that people bring up is uh, in previous models of the universe, which is for much of Muslim history, the belief was that we would never leave the earth. Okay, In a lot of populations. And so when we, you know, when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, and people, scholars were asked about this. Some of the more sensible scholars said, well, either it didn't happen or we've been misinterpreting this the whole time. But literally in their understanding of the model of the universe, it was like blocked from leaving the, you were, we were blocked from leaving the earth. And then it would be reinforced by interpretation of some ayahs. I'm forgetting what the ayahs were. I literally remembered them like two minutes ago, but now I forgot what the ayahs were, right? And, and but again, that was not a big thing, but, this whole issue of how to reconcile, 
you know, science with uh, text. Um, try to think about all the different ways it plays out because that is sort of a little bit at the heart of moon sighting, right? Because the Aya says, when you see the moon, not is when the moon is there. And, and so, so yeah, try to try to think of what would be other deeper things. I mean, another way to think about this is the question of when we, when you and I, meaning all of us, when we look at the story of the Quraysh bearing daughters, it's not even a thought in our head that anybody reasonable would do this, right? It's, and we tell, tell it so commonly, we don't even think about it, but you know, how repulsive this is. And then there's also the legend attributed to Amr, which some people say isn't true, but it's still a cool story. You know which story I'm talking about, right? Where he would laugh and he would cry. Yeah. Uh, is everybody familiar with the story? You need me to repeat it? You know, why can't I, why do I only see five people? This is kind of strange. But, <clears throat> hold on. Oh, show non-video participants. That's what it is. So, yeah, yeah. So basically, there's these legends where periodically Omar during his Khilafah would sometimes laugh and sometimes he would cry. And one time when he's laughing, you know, others ask, why are you laughing? And he says, I think back to the days, my days of, of Jahiliyyah. And I was so devout in my worship of my God that one time I was traveling and I left my God at home. So then I took all these dates and I made my God out of the dates. And then I got hungry. See where this is going, right? So then he ate, he ate his God. And so he used to laugh about that. And then sometimes he would cry and the, and the others would ask, why are you crying? And he would think back to his days of Jahiliya. And he would remember when he had a daughter and uh, he, you know, immediately from the moment of his, uh, the daughter was born, he had all this love for her. So he couldn't bring himself to bury her immediately, but his loyalty to their Dean, to their traditions began to overtake him. And so he decided he has to fulfill his obligations. And so he starts burying his daughter and then she is seeing the dirt or the dust go on his beard. And so she's reaching up to wipe it away while he is burying her to her death. Right. Legend or true, Allah knows best. Still a very powerful story, right? But try to put yourself in the mind of the Quraysh. Because in many ways, there were many aspects of life. They were very rational in terms of how they ran business and such, and even sometimes in how they allowed for their beliefs or superstitions to enter. Like, for example, when uh, Abdul Muttalib is praying to Allah to show me where Zamzam, and then he has a dream, and then he finds it, and he says, okay, you know, I, I'm going to sacrifice my son in gratitude. And so he decides he's going to sacrifice Abdullah. And the others are like, no, no, you can't do this. And and so then they go to like this uh, sorceress. They ask her, okay, what's your opinion? She says, all right, if you don't want to sacrifice your son, keep drawing straws. Every time it lands on him, add or make it like either I'm going to sacrifice camels or my son. Each time the straw pulls my son, I'm going to add like 10 more camels. 
and keep doing that and then f- until it lands on the camels and so it lands on the camels when he's at like a hundred camels and then he draws straws a couple more times just to make it like scientific and it's a hundred camels right the point i'm making is that they had a rational quality to them when we often imagine them, we just imagine them as just totally ridiculous like no logic whatsoever so if my thesis is correct that they were that rational try to imagine what type of culture could lead them to think that it is proper normal to bury your daughters for us any of us who has kids any of us who has daughters yeah we couldn't even comprehend even coming anything close to something like that i mean except maybe when they're teenagers but the point here is uh what do you think how does somebody reach that point Adnan, you look like you're about to say something uh well i was gonna say part of me is just thought you know to like the way we think about maybe gender identity as a society and like people not necessarily like this group, but people saying, you know, giving a level of advocacy to children to say, oh, a child can decide to, for example, physically change their gender. And I think that level of alteration or in some sense mutilation of the body would be seen as like absurd in other times. But normal now? Right. But I think now it's it's to a point where even if you don't agree with it, you have to, you accept it as a thing in society, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not, you can't publicly say it's absurd. You have to negotiate it with, to a level where it's, uh, it's something you have to just sort of accept, right? As a mm-hmm. fact of society. Mm-hmm. Okay. I still think bearing daughters is still light years beyond that. What do you think? I, I do. I, I, I mean, I do same think universe. Yeah. yeah, I think it's way worse. I'm just saying in the sense of I'm trying to come to terms with like, you know, okay, something where it. it's like we're yeah. physically like mutilating or doing something to a body and we're accepting yeah. it as normal. Uh-huh. And at some level, like, even though that's way more perverse to me, it's taking a life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that was at some in some way negotiated to being normalized. Ah, okay, so then there's probably something potentially in terms of power forcing it on people and people being too afraid to speak against it. Yeah, that makes yeah sense. I think that, that could definitely be an element, you know, yeah. like a social element. Any other thoughts? Try to imagine, and who knows how long it took from the first idea until it becoming standard practice to bury your daughters. It does not seem that that was the practice in Medina. It seems like that was the practice in Mecca. It might have been the practice in Medina, but does not seem to get as much attention. Any ideas? How does it happen? Omar? Um, I I think similar to Adnan's point, I don't know if, if I can necessarily describe like a process getting to that extreme, but I think we can see sort of nascent stages of it in, in our society and other societies currently but also like historically you know you look at um i think sort of a similar example that we can look at similar to the mech like the meccans but not maybe as extreme is um sort of like the sacrifice the ritual sacrifices that happen in like mesoamerican cultures 
like in terms of like bloodletting and all these things that they sort of seem or in their society was seemed to seem normal but for mm-hmm. us it's like very very grotesque torture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and for them it it even had like a religious maybe spiritual element to it mm-hmm. um so i think these types of things i think they just kind of you know religiously culturally just kind of like seep in over time and people just you know it becomes this sort of like I don't know, a spiritual like field that it just kind of grows and grows. And I think because of that, like the actions, you know, they, you kind of lose sight of yourself. Um, And, you know, maybe like one example that you can look at concurrent or currently is not, maybe it's not as widespread or as entrenched as you look at the, the sort of the honor killings that we have with women in, in like the subcontinent, you know, or the acid attacks and stuff like that, where it's like, so, entrenched or it's so culturally like seen as like you know uh like there's an affront to your honor or certain things that you would do something that seems so much more crazy is retaliation and then maybe over a couple generations becomes the institution right maybe right another thought that came to mind while you were speaking is in some religions i don't think we have this very much in sunni islam in some religions, there are some rituals that are designed to be painful. So think akin in some Shia traditions, matam, right? The self-flagellation, more like the Desi and the Iranian Shias and such. Or, you know, the hardcore Catholics will do some sort of self-flagellation type things. I wonder, and I don't even know where and how we find this out, if part of the point is that it's supposed to be painful. You know, uh, this process of of uh, of sacrificing your daughter uh, as a sign of your masculinity. You know, Yeah, I was gonna say I've never heard anybody mention the spiritual aspect of this. Like, I don't think it's ever been dissected, at least to my knowledge, that I've ever heard of. Uh, because no. maybe it's a, a sign of manlyhood, or maybe you know, it's some something. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's probably a bunch of elements around it. I mean, the way it seems like it's commonly understood is that this was such a fiercely patriarchal society that women basically were not given the status of a human being, right? So then we're told that you can inherit your mom, or when people are playing whatever their equivalent was of poker, they would also wager, like their wife, their mother, whatever, right? That this is how jahil they were, in the sense that, think of, you know, in the days of the American slave trade, where even a whole theology is constructed both for the the plantation owner to see themselves one way and for the enslaved to see themselves another way so that you can have this mass slavery. I mean, the numbers for the American slavery is just, I don't think you can ever not be astonished, right? But a whole theology was created to make it much more palatable. And so, so the point being that where it commonly seems to be read is that just women were not looked at as humans, you know. But what makes it all the more interesting is what were the poems about? The Jahili poetry were these profound, vivid poems about these missing ideal, you know, ideals of womanhood, and they're naturally going to be missing because they don't have any women. You know, and maybe that is Jahiliya. 
all these contradictions and paradoxes that someone could look and say, okay, this is just absurd. Don't know. I wonder I, if, yeah, go ahead. I was also thinking like, I think like we kind of are humans in general, like because we're prone to like being faithful or we're prone to being religious. I think we tend to, when we sort of become religious or faithful, we tend to like, I don't know how to describe this, but I think there's like a almost like a spiritual laziness, if you will, where you want to take very, very easy answers. And sometimes like the obvious answers aren't the easiest ones, you know, uh, something like on a obviously it's not as extreme as what we're talking about. Something on a very minor level comes to mind from like earlier today when I was at uh, the barber shop, and this man, uh, this barber was arguing with a younger man and he was talking to him about how the younger man is like, Oh, I'm going to raise my kids in, in your know, back home, wherever country he was from. And he was like, it's fine. It's fine. If they don't see me for like, they'll only see me for two months of the year. It'll be fine. And the barber's like, what are you talking about? Like, these are like your children. They need to see you. You need to be a father to them. But like, he's using like the religion as a way to like, excuse that. And I was just like, like this makes, you know, like, how do you not see the common sense, you know, and you're just trying to throw this, throw it under the the umbrella of religion, as it were. Go, mm -hmm. cool. Eric. Oh, I got off my work. First off, Jazakallah uh, Khairan for allowing me to join uh, the, uh, the study circle. The, the I don't think we actually allowed you, you know, but anyway, you're welcome. Yeah. I asked uh, Bezan and Hamdana, he, he thought it'd be okay. So I'm hopeful yeah. that that's, uh, that's true. Um, we'll, we'll I was just go. gonna say, um, you know, I think what's interesting is when we talk about dehumanization and how, for instance, if you look at, um, you know, what another group of people is able to do it to another group of people. Um, I think what starkly contrasts to this is that, you know, you're talking about taking the life of your own family. Um, and so I think yes. to, in, in my mind, it's, uh, it's such a stark contrast to saying taking the life of the other. Um, and so um, I think what it, in my mind it, it paints, and this is uh, reflective of what, uh, uh, of what uh, Omar was just mentioning, is that I almost feel like it, it would have had to have been to a religious level. I don't have any evidence for this, but in the sense that it was like almost upholding your faith to whichever God, right, you would uh, attest to that this was what needed to happen in order for you to fulfill your religious duty and obligation. Um, again, I don't have any evidence to back that up. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, last comments I wanted to make was just, I was actually listening to uh, um, a, a series by, um, well, I won't say the, the, the sheikh just yet, but a pretty I'm really, I'm like yeah. <laughs> No, and he had mentioned how, and he was, he was explaining this concept of rira, like this type of protective jealousy, if you will, like, when, uh, when uh, let's say, you know, a, a daughter is going to go to prom, right? And how you as a father do not want your daughter to go to prom because you are afraid for what could happen to your daughter at prom. Um, and I thought it was very interesting because it was the first time I'd ever heard someone, he applied this to this situation um, and how people buried their daughters out of this protective jealousy. I don't know how true that is. Again, I don't know the text. It's worth I considering. very profound. Yeah. 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 Then it seems like it might be akin to Omar's point about honor killing, you know. Yeah, but 
Uh, I think another thing that people in the future might look at our world is the destruction of the climate, right? And specifically, not so much the you know, what is essentially conscious destruction. It's more just the devouring of the planet that is the that is then causing pollution and climate change and all those things, right? I mean, think back to think of how many pieces of plastic you might throw away in a day. Right. Uh, and that's here. Think of in our back homelands how much uh, people are. Uh, who's the one with the beautiful haircut? Or Keith, because he went to the barbershop. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Marshall, yes. Subtly threw that in there. Marshall, that was, that was very good, very beautiful. Yeah. But the point being that this, uh, uh, think about how much plastic, like plastic water bottles and everything, get used in our back home countries. You know, have any of you ever seen the Nile, the actual river? Faisan, what's it like? It was really dark. I mean, Eric, I think you were there too, right? I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember much from it except just being dark and being in a boat with a bunch of lights. But there was, I mean, it's like Pakistan beach kind of. I mean, there's garbage. So. Yeah, it's it's like just sewage upon sewage, right? Literally the most famous river in history, except perhaps like the Euphrates or something. And this big legendary river, but it's just sewage upon sewage, you know. And what is that? That's the, the lack of the infrastructure. Because all of us, suppose we stop using plastic, that's going to make like zero difference, right? Except for our own, you know, you know, contributions to the destruction of the world. I think that'll be something that the next generation is going to be looking at us, you know, even 50 years from now. But to think of 100 years from now. You know. How do you, like, how do we... Uh, sorry if I'm interjecting on the point, but how do we like negotiate that? Like, as we are now trying to be like faithful, ethical Muslims, right? Where yeah. it seems like to use a very sort of um, tired trope, we're like plugged into the matrix of yeah. these, we're working for these corporations, we're in this like superstructure or multiple superstructures of sorts that are like actively destroying the world. And yeah. we're like getting our sustenance from that in some way, mm -hmm. you know, and it just feels so like warped at times when you pause and think about it, you know, like, like to use an example that's close to me, like I work for an airline and, you know, like all these companies nowadays love to talk about the environment and what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. But like you just see the day to day work and you're like, this is so wasteful. Yeah. You see like, in you know before your very eyes like the, the contradictions of this stuff you know yeah. or like they're like oh we're buying carbon credits but then like airplanes are some of the most polluting things in the world right like mm -hmm. it's not like we don't think of hey let's just stop flying maybe you know yeah. it's like the the machine has to march on you know yeah but it's so yeah. it just feels spiritually like weird you feel like very guilty i don't know uh i think to some degree we should right yeah, uh, but in terms of how to address it, like the formula that I've sort of created for myself, is level one, is you have to make sure all of your transactions are halal. Okay, and so your immediate transactions should all be Islamically sound. Okay? And then level two can then be getting further. So easy case in point. Uh, whenever I'm getting a car, I usually don't have enough savings to get a used car. So I have to get a new car. 
And so then I'm going to do 0% financing from which company? Toyota, correct. Okay, so, so the point being that when you're getting a car on 0% financing, what did you do? What do they do to the price of the car? They raise it. So, you know, X thousand dollar Camry or Prius goes up in price two to three thousand dollars. And so it's sort of like my transaction does not have any interest in it, but the transaction has interest in it. Right? See what I'm saying? But my step is to make sure, my first step is to make sure my transaction is halal. Okay. So it is not haram for me to use styrofoam plates and all those things. Okay. But then level two is to look at those things which I can control and see how many of those things I can clean up. Case in point, we're doing a Ramadan prep here. Last year I pushed, this year I'm pushing harder because we didn't make any headway last year uh, because it was the first time we're doing Ramadan on campus uh, during a school year, but that we're going to use biodegradable or compostable dishes and cutlery, which costs two, three, six times as much as regular, you know, paper, plastic, and all that stuff, right? And I said, even if it costs more, that's what we're going to do, okay? I'm also fearing, however, because I don't know enough about this, that even if these dishes and spoons and forks are actually truly biodegradable, are they really actually biodegradable? And what I mean by this is, you know, like we all do like the, the recycling when we're taking out the trash, I heard something like 3% of that is recyclable. Yeah. You know, but still it's a step forward uh, until I find out that this doesn't work or something. See what I'm saying? Mm. So level one is make your transactions halal. Okay. Level two is the things you can control. Try to do improvements. Okay. And then level three would be becoming movement oriented. So that becomes... <laughs> That becomes the contrast, for example, between Molana Maududi, Dr. Esfar, versus like a Hamza Yusuf, right? Hamza Yusuf's current theology, as I understand it, is that's the design of this world, no point in fighting it, right? Mm. And a lot of it he's saying that now is, I think, in response to the woke culture. But Dr. Esfar, Molana Maududi, their pre woke culture, may Allah's mercy be upon them, uh, they're speaking of massive social change even if they're speaking of, of projects that might be 100 years long or 500 years long. So I still side on that side. That's still in my DNA. Right. Any other thoughts and reflections and all that? Omar, does it make sense? Sir, yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but I think uh, there is some degree that we should not become negligent about it. I mean, I drive nearly 100 miles a day. So in a month that is nearly three thousand miles a month, you know. So who knows how who knows how much carbon I'm emitting? I used to literally every month buy like these carbon certificate things where, you know, they'll plant X number of trees. I don't know if any of that was actually legit, you know. So, alrighty, uh, let's do a little bit of euthyphro. So let me pull this up and then close this. Were you all able to open the uh, window? I had problems on um, Chrome, but I was able to do it on Edge. Also, Fezan has where we left off on the chat. Yeah. Um, 
and I think I just lost the page. I was literally there just now. Tell me. There it is. All righty. So let's see. How about Eric? Why don't you be Socrates? And Omar, why don't you be... Oh, I used the Arabic pronunciation. Why don't you be Euthyphro? Copy that. Okay, so... Uh, so Socrates... Well, let's start with yes, and then Socrates, let's start right here. And is then all which is just pious? Or is that which is pious all just? But that which is just only in part and not all pious. Okay, so just to, to put everybody back on the same page, what are we saying? The big question is, uh, Euthyphro has pressed charges against his dad. Meanwhile, for for essentially tying up a guy who committed a murder, and then he dies. And so Euthyphro is calling his dad a murderer. And then Socrates is is being indicted because someone else is accusing him of, of corrupting the youth or whatever. And so Socrates is asking Euthyphro, this young preacher, okay, what is it that's pious? What is it that's virtuous and all that? And so at first he was arguing whatever the gods like. And Socrates says, well, the gods contradict each other. So that can't be an answer. So then is that which is pious just? He says, yes. And then is that which is just by definition pious? So one of the questions we raised is, did Allah pick the prophet, peace be upon him, because the prophet was amazing? Or is the prophet amazing because Allah picked him? In reality, the answer is yes to both, but we can still defer to giving credit to Allah Ta'ala. Right? Or is a command Allah giving me good because he made it the command? Or did he command me to do it because it is good? Again, the actual answer is just yes. But we would defer to giving credit to Allah that because Allah says it's good, therefore it's good. Okay. All righty. Thus, Euthyphro. I do not understand you, Socrates. <clears throat> and yet I know that you are much wiser than I am, as you are younger. But I, as I was saying, revered friend, the abundance of your wisdom makes you lazy. Please to exert yourself. For there is no real difficulty in understanding me. What I mean, I may explain by an illustration of what I do not mean. The poet Stasinus sings, Of Zeus, the author and creator of all things, will not tell. For where there is fear, there is also reverence. Now I disagree with this poet. Shall I tell you in what respect? Okay, so let's, let's uh, parse this a little bit. Socrates is saying, all right, look at how wise you are. I know you can explain these things. And it could be that Socrates is just being sarcastic or buttering him up, right? He might be genuine. And you're wiser because you're so young. But as I was saying, my revered friend, because you're so wise, you're actually kind of lazy. You know? And so think about this. Because he's saying, Euthyphro is saying, I don't understand. So Socrates is saying, okay, stop being lazy, bro. Think. You can understand what I'm saying. So here's the example of Zeus, the author and creator of all these things. You will not tell for where there is fear, there is also reverence. Okay. Anybody want to try to translate what's being said here? Like, what is the point Socrates is trying to make here? 
I mean, it, I don't know what he the point he's trying to make, but it seems like a sort of standard um, like praise of Zeus. Mm-hmm. But I. I feel like he's going to address the point about fear and reverence being tied together. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Let's go further. All right, Euthyphro. By all means. I should not say that where there is fear, there is also reverence. For I am sure many persons fear poverty and disease and the like evil, but I do not perceive that they, re- I do not perceive that they reverence the objects of their fear. Mm-hmm. So... We can replace reverence with awe. So awe is what we should think of the day of judgment. But fear versus hope regarding my akhira, I should have a balance of the two. But whatever is the highest level of awe that is possible, the day of judgment is going to make me have that. Like, this is an astonishing, astounding day. To the point that it will almost feel like fear. But it's more like it's overwhelming. All right, let's continue. Very true. Reverence is, there is fear. For he who has a feeling of reverence and shame about the commissioning action fears and is afraid of an ill reputation okay here's a question for everybody think of the different reasons why someone does not commit a sin think of the different reasons why someone avoids doing a sin so what are some of the reasons uh, top one or the easier easiest one is fear of punishment. Okay, nice. Bezan uh, says regret. What else? Removal of blessings in the dunya. Okay. Uh, knowing that uh, Allah is watching you. Okay. Yeah, I think all these are correct. What else? Pleasing God for His pleasure. Okay. Yeah, to seek uh, to please Allah. What else? Uh, this might be. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, along with Allah, like watching you, also other people watching you is also a driver. Especially that we don't want people to know our sins. Right? So as a principle, we should already not share our sins. But instinctively, I don't think we want anyone to know our sins. Especially because that will affect what they think of us. What else? What else are other reasons? External uh, motivations. Okay. Uh, give. Uh, what does that mean? I think I understand. Well, explain further. I guess like motivations for things. Like if you're, I guess, uh, like an example is like maybe like a sin that you're committing is affecting your daily life. So you're motivated to maybe. Uh-huh. Kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but yeah. just, like you can feel like it's a monkey on your back. You're trying to get off of your back. Yeah, basically. So. Any other thoughts? What are other reasons why people do not commit sins? Reverence of Allah. Sorry? You know, reverence of Allah. And yeah. Totally. I mean, you don't want to, the person, the being that you love, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to anger. You don't want to lose their love. Mm-hmm. That you reach such a point in your love for Allah that, yeah, you don't want to insult your beloved or the one who loves you so much. Sure. This might be like a sort of base uh, 
instinct or, or intention for doing it, but I think people do do this is where you're, it's almost like a bargain you're making where you're like, if I don't do this, I'll get something good in return, either in the dunya or the akhara. Sure. Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to say reward and punishment. So Jannah and Jahannam. Yeah. Oh, Usman, you're going to say something. Um, let's say just sheer laziness. You know, maybe they just don't want to. They're too lazy to sin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a thing. You know. So here, whoever, wherever, where reverence is, there is fear for he who has a feeling of reverence and shame about the commission of any action fears and is afraid of an ill reputation. So shame versus guilt. There's a notion that all cultures are one or the other. Some cultures are shame cultures. Some cultures are guilt cultures. And to think about it, a shame culture is like what Desi culture is, right? And, uh, and so basically, okay, like if you've done such and such, you've embarrassed the entire family, you know, you know, and it's, uh, and so that's what we find a lot in Desi culture. Guilt culture is a lot of what American culture is. It's more individualistic. But the shame culture hall of fame, yeah. But the idea is basically that you've done this wrong, you should be embarrassed. Done. Right? Shame culture, you've done this wrong, you made all of us look horrible. And so, what do you think? In what ways is one better than the other? So, in what ways is the shame culture better? Than the guilt culture, in what ways is the guilt culture better than the shame culture? How would you answer that? Uh, shame culture generally is more, it feels like it's more communal just by the very definition of it, where you're sort of forced to think more communally and what your actions mean for like the broader society and community at large, mm -hmm. as opposed to like a guilt culture, it seems more individual, or it seems more individualistic, where you know, as long as like it's you and you've been told and you feel a certain type of way about it, it's fine. Yeah. So the advantage of the shame culture, Osman, were you about to speak? Oh. The advantage or the benefit of the shame culture is that, yeah, there's much more community, much more communal solidarity. And the advantage of the guilt culture is that, you know, you're not being forced to carry the whole weight of the whole community disadvantage of the guilt culture is that it's so individualistic the disadvantage of the shame culture means that everything gets hidden under the rug right okay let us stop right here and so Fazan, everyone if you can make a note either like then we are wrong in saying somewhere or other and let me make sure inshallah we are cool for next monday so if i lost my phone oh here it is uh, next Monday. Well, I'm pulling this up. Any last questions about anything? Are you by chance available if we do like an on-site meeting on a weekend? Uh, in general, yeah. Uh, except March 4th through 11th, I'm going to be out. This Loyola Umrah trip. Have I told you about the trip? Yeah. 
they wanted to go to Las Vegas. And I was like, there's no way in the world I'm going to go to Vegas with you guys. And so we kept <laughs> Why did they want to go to Vegas? They're just like, you know, we want to go somewhere with you. And I was like, not Vegas. I, I'm, I'm then, actually going to be in Vegas in those dates. Oh, snap. Okay, <laughs> I should have said it with you. Yeah. And so we tried, they suggested everything, Karachi, you know, everything. And then finally we settled on Umrah. Yeah, that is an interesting one. Yeah. So a possibility, uh, Osman, can possibly be this coming weekend, depends on the time, you know. Otherwise, it'll have to wait until after the return. But yeah, I'd love to see you guys. Is Friday night easier for you? Not necessarily this Friday, but just a Friday. Yeah. Like after yeah. your Umrah trip. Evening in general, yeah. Right. After the Umrah trip, then, yeah, things become much more wide open. But yeah, Friday evenings would be would actually be even better than weekends because I'm already here. Okay. You know, unless we all meet somewhere else. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss internally, and I'll give you some dates, inshallah, and that way we can look at our calendars and and see if it's possible, inshallah. 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 All right. Anything else? Okay. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah Ta'ala reward you all, inshallah, and we'll see you next week. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.